Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You can't watch the television news for long or be on social media for long without being confronted by death and destruction, especially at the moment following the appalling events unfolding in Israel and Gaza. And before that, of course, and still continuing, it was the war in Ukraine. And quite apart from war, this weekend we've been seeing images of floods and heard of people in Britain and across Europe losing their lives as a result of Storm Babette. Two weeks ago, an earthquake in Afghanistan. Last month, there was one in Morocco. Earlier in the year, Turkey. Death is all over the news. And never mind the news, it even invades sport. Match of the day this week began with a tribute to the great Sir Bobby Charlton following the news of his death on Saturday. And of course, it doesn't even need to be newsworthy for death to hit us. My wife Caroline got a call from a good friend last week with the news that her friend's dad had died. Uh, Over the weekend, I spoke to another friend of ours whose husband died following a stroke. It's not a subject we like talking about, but death is all around us. And because it will get us all in the end, we'd be wise to give it some serious thought. And not least of all, to consider how the inevitability of the grim reaper catching up on us should shape our attitude to wealth. That is the issue in the Bible passage that uh, Gabor just read for us this week. And the first point on the handout, if you're following along, uh, the situation, verses 13 to 15. Look with me at Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Jesus speaking to a crowd of people, and for the second time in this section of Luke's gospel, he's heckled. We saw it last week, here it is again. A bloke in the crowd who has recently come face to face with death shouts out, verse 13, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Someone in this fellow's family has died, and when the will was read out, it resulted in an almighty row between him and his brother. And now they're arguing about who gets Granny's clock and her antique sideboard. And this aggrieved brother wants Jesus to act as a judge in the small claims court. But Jesus says, that's not my job, mate. Well, something like that. I'll leave it to your solicitor to sort out. That's verse 14. Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, verse 15, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. It is a fascinating moment. In the verses before this man shouted out from the crowd, Jesus has been talking about the most important issues of life and death and heaven and hell and forgiveness and being right with God. And all this bloke can think about is his share of the will. And so in verse 15, Jesus says, take care, watch out. 
Be very careful that you don't reduce life to being about nothing much more than accumulating stuff. Jesus says life is much about much more than family heirlooms and money in the bank and a big house and a fancy car and fine dining and first-class travel. Death and, and, and all, that, all those sorts of things are put into context when you realize that death is coming. And to make the point, Jesus tells a brilliant story which begins in verse 16. And the point, uh, the second point on the handout, again, if you're following on the story. Now, look, I, I love this story. But before we look at it, let me ask you, who do you most aspire to be like? Who is it you look up to? Who would you like to be them? If you know, Whose shoes would you like to be in if you could be anyone? Let me ask you, who is it? A successful businessman or woman here in the city? A, a social media influencer? Or if you're into the celebrity culture, a sporting star, royalty, a Hollywood actor, you know, the sort of person who features in Hello or or OK magazine. Oh, let me assure you, this isn't mine. No, I I borrowed it from William Taylor. Um, (laughs) Anyway, who is it that you look at and think, I would love to be in their shoes? And I ask that question because before diving into this story, I reckon in this story we meet someone who many of us would like to be like. Look at verse 16. Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger, larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. It's harvest time. And this is the story of a very successful farmer, a farmer who gets a bumper crop, an unexpectedly enormous yield, and so he builds bigger barns. <laughs> a good friend of mine calls this man successful barns because, as my friend says, he was successful and he built barns, successful barns. And so it's harvest time, and successful gets a bigger harvest, a better harvest than he could have ever expected. And before he knew it, he'd reached the point that most people only ever dream of, total financial security. In city terms, he's an entrepreneur who spotted an opportunity to make a fortune, and then he grabbed it with both hands. He's taken his idea into the dragon's den, and all the dragons have loved it and offered him all the money he asked for, and for a very small stake in his company. And in no time at all, the idea has flown, and he's made an absolute fortune. His business outperforms all his competitors. And so he's so successful, he features in the New Year's Honours list, knighted by his majesty. In terms of wealth, he's Sir Jim Ratcliffe of Ineos or Selena Blavatnik of Warner Music. Men worth more than £25 billion. That's successful Barnes. And so having planned and worked hard, the time arrives when, verse 19, he said to himself, you've ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. He's living the dream with not a financial worry in the world. And with no need to ever work again, he takes early retirement before turning 50. In uh, Hello! magazine, there's a picture of him standing outside his his mansion and next to his Aston Martin DB11. And under the peach picture, it reads, Sir Cecil Barnes, who retired this week, saying, I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. That's verse 19. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look at him, I think I would love to be in Sir Cecil's shoes. And that is what makes line uh, 20 so devastating. God, his creator, says to Cecil, you fool, this very night your life will be required of you. 
So he's had his retirement party. The last guests have just, have just left. It's been a marvellous evening. Everyone congratulate him on such a brilliant career. And as the catering staff are clearing up, his wife retires to bed. And as she goes upstairs, he says to her, I'll be up with you in a moment, darling. He wanders into the drawing room, pours himself a brandy. The congratulations from friends and colleagues still ringing in his ears. There are holiday brochures on the coffee table for safaris and cruises that he's planning to go on. But the brochure that really catches his eye is the brochure for the Bentley that he'll take delivery of on Monday morning. And as he picks it up, he says to himself, you've done it. You've retired early. You've plenty laid up for yourself for years and years and years to come. Now, Cess, enjoy life, my son. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and, and suddenly there's a searing pain in his chest and he's dead before he hits the floor. That's verses 19 and 20. So Cecil says, verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you've ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. So they hold a memorial service for him. In their eulogies, chief execs from the city say what a brilliant entrepreneur he was. His obituary in the Times says what a shrewd investor he was. And God says what a fool he was. That's the shock. Many words of praise from the great and the good in the city, but just one word from God, fool, verse 20. And at this point in the story, we have to ask ourselves, do we still want to be in the shoes of successful Barnes? Uh, look, it's a story, but it's not a fairy story. I've taken funerals of men like this. I'll never forget the words of a, a tearful widow as, as we prepared her husband's funeral. He worked all his life for his dream retirement cottage in Dorset, she said. They'd even booked the removal van, but he dropped dead before he ever got to live the dream. And this is not just for those nearing retirement. Uh, desperately, death is no respecter of age. Think of Wadia Al-Fayoumi, the six-year-old Muslim boy stabbed to death in a suspected hate crime 10 days ago in a suburb of Chicago. Or the two uh, Swedish football fans killed in Brussels last week. It really can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. It can come so quickly. It happened that quickly to my dad. He and mum had spent a wonderful week with us. Dad was talking to me about the plans he had to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary, which was a few months away. And two days later, I got a telephone call in the middle of the night from my brother. He was calling from the hospital, and he told me that my dad had died. That's what happens in the story, totally out of the blue. So Cecil had everything he ever wanted, but now he's dead. And the money, where does it all go? Well, that's the question at the end of verse 20. It's a brilliant question. Well, who knows where it all went? It may have gone to a son who was a worthless fellow, blew it all on drink and gambling, and broke his mother's heart in the process. Well, I don't know, but it's quite possible that in no time the money was gone, and desperately so has what really matters gone. And Jesus told this story to demonstrate that when it came to eternity, this rich man was poverty-stricken, a wealthy man with nothing, lost everything in this life and the next. That's the shock of this story. And that takes us to the third point. See, Jesus told this story to make us stop and think 
Remember what prompted the story. Verse 13, the heckler in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I've already said it's a remarkable moment. Jesus has been talking about the most important issues we could ever think about. Forgiveness and being right with God, life beyond the grave, all that sort of stuff. You can see it in the verses beforehand. And all the while that Jesus is speaking, someone in the crowd is squabbling with his brother about their inheritance. And believe me, it happens. I've taken funerals where the atmosphere is very tense because before they've even put their loved one in the ground, the family have fallen out over the will. And that's why Jesus said, verse 15, take care, be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Jesus says life is not all about stuff. And the story of Cecil tells us why. Because you can reach the point where you can have everything you ever wanted and then die. And so death really should make us think about what really matters and how we handle wealth. Uh, For these brothers uh, who've just come face to face with death, rather than tune in to what Jesus is saying about eternity, their thoughts are only on how much inheritance they're going to get. So Jesus says, beware of an attitude to life that quite frankly is nothing more than greedy materialism. That's what he's saying in verse 15. See, Jesus told this story to lovingly warn us not to make the same mistake. Don't be like Cecil. Don't be so foolish, verse 21, by laying up treasures for yourself here on earth, but not not being rich towards God. See, that is successful for fabulously wealthy, but barely a second thought about God. He was living for himself. I don't mean by that that he was a thoroughly obnoxious man. We don't know what he was like. Jesus doesn't tell us. We don't know whether he was a faithful husband or an adulterer. We don't know whether he was a good father or if he beat the children. We don't know if he paid his taxes or found some offshore loophole. We just don't know. But let's not speak ill of the dead. Let's assume that he was a reasonable bloke. Oh, not without his faults, because none of us are, but largely a decent bloke but still a man who rarely gave God a second thought. And please, when I say that, don't misunderstand this. It's quite possible that if you asked Cecil if he believed in God, he said, well, yes, yes, I do. I mean, in Israel, in Jesus' day, the existence of God was not in question. So I reckon Cecil would have gone to church. But in his day-to-day, God had very little impact in the way he lived. Certainly didn't affect the decisions he made or what he lived for. See, Cecil didn't live for God, he lived for himself. Just listen to the way he speaks. I'll read from verse 17, and as I do, hear how it is dominated by the words I and my. Verse 17, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I and my, he's totally wrapped up in himself in many ways he had everything he had treasure he had leisure he had pleasure but he didn't have a second thought for the one who gave him all those things see where did all his wealth come from verse 16 tells us it came from the land and in jewish thinking back in the day that wasn't mother earth providing but our father in heaven who provided the lord blessed the earth to produce this bumper crop It all came from the Lord, yet there's not a hint of thanks to God from Cecil. And are we the same? 
I think it's fair to say that most of us here in the city have much, certainly compared to the majority world we do. We have so much, health and wealth and family and fun and happiness and holidays. But my guess is we rarely thank God for all that we have. And look, I don't like it when people take things from me and don't say thanks. It's just bad manners. But worse than that, when it's God, Jesus says it's foolish because there is a God and one day I'll meet him. And last month, our youngest child, Joshua, who is now 20, got his first full-time paid job. It was something of a milestone in our family. All three of our children paid employment, few. Those moments, uh, those milestones make you look back to when they were little. If you've got older children, you'll know that. And I was remembering when Joshua was just a toddler and how he loved to play peekaboo. The rules of the game are very simple. You know how it goes. Someone hides, someone else looks for them. When they find them, on being found, everybody shouts, peekaboo. But Joshua's rules were a little different. You see, 18-month-old Joshua didn't hide. He'd just stand in the middle of the room with his hands over his eyes. And I'd say, where's Joshua? And he'd giggle. Where's Joshua? More laughter from Joshua. I can't see Joshua. Where's Joshua gone? Uncontrollable whoops of laughter from Joshua. Where is Joshua? Can anybody see Joshua? Side-splitting howls of laughter from Joshua. His whole body shaking with hysterical guffaws. And then when he could stand it no longer, he'd whip his hands away from his eyes and say, peekaboo. It was very funny. And it worked because Joshua thought when he closed his eyes, because he couldn't see us, we couldn't see him. Oh, it's silly, isn't it? But it's great fun because he was only a little boy. What isn't so amusing is how we as adults play peekaboo with God. Thinking that because we can't see him, he can't see us. That's why Sir Cecil Barnes was such a fool. Living for himself, not being rich towards God. I'll turn 61 later this year. I, I can't believe it. I know you can't believe it that I can't believe it because I definitely look 60. But still, I, I can't believe it because it only seems five minutes ago that I was leaving school and had the whole of my life ahead of me. You see, life goes so quickly. And sooner or later, we do find ourselves standing before God. And Jesus says here, lovingly, he says to us, don't leave it until it's too late. Before death grabs you, be sure you are rich before God. Don't be like successful bonds, all these squabbling brothers squabbling over the inheritance. Don't live for wealth and stuff and the things of this life without any thought of the life to come. Because verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. The house, the holidays, the hobbies, the car, the career, the clothes, they are not what life is all about. Well, so how about it? I mean, how about looking into how you can be rich towards God? If you come here for the first time, maybe been brought along with someone or just walked in off the street, thanks so much for coming in. We're so pleased you joined us. Maybe you've been coming for years. Well, you two are, of course, very welcome. I hope you know that already. But you see, whether you're new to this stuff or you've been around for years, Jesus says at the end of verse 21, be rich towards God. And the good news is that Jesus can make us rich towards God, even if we've taken all the good things that God gives us and barely given him a second thought. And indeed, the rest of Luke's gospel tells us how, we, how Jesus can make us rich towards God. And with this, I'll finish. See, if you read Luke's gospel, you'll discover that Jesus lived a life where he never ignored God. 
unlike Sir Cecil, Jesus never put himself first. And Jesus was rich towards God. And at the end of his life, as Jesus died on a cross, he said these words, it is finished. Well, it's three words in, in the English, but in the original language, just one word, paid. The price is paid. It's the word that back in the day would be stamped on an account when the account was settled. You know, you just have in red, paid. Paid in full, nothing more to pay. Here is Jesus, wasn't in debt with God, but on the cross he paid a debt. Not the debt that he owed, because he didn't owe a debt, but the debt that you and I owe. The debt of taking from God, but taking no notice of God. Jesus paid that debt as he died on the cross. So now if we turn to Jesus and follow him, we can be rich towards God. And ready to meet our maker. So that if God demanded your life today... We wouldn't hear him say, you fool. We'd hear him say, welcome, welcome home. And we'd be received with open arms into the home and kingdom of the God who is rich beyond all splendor. Now, isn't that something? I reckon this is the most wonderful thing anyone could ever hear. And I won't be at all surprised if there aren't a good number of people in the room who'd like to be sure that they are rich towards God as well today. Uh, and if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And you can pray along with me if you want to. And, and, uh, and it will be the way you start with Jesus. Before I pray the prayer, I'll read it so you can decide whether you want to pray along with me or not. The prayer goes like this. So I'll pray it in a moment, but just listen in for now. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that I've made other things more important than you. I can see how foolish that is. Thank you that Jesus lived a perfect life, always putting you first. Thank you that Jesus died to pay the debt in my life. I turn to Jesus now and ask for your forgiveness. Help me from now on to put you first. Now, if that's a prayer you want to pray, I'm going to pray it line by line. You can echo it in your heart and mind. God will hear it. He'll know if you've you've said it from your heart. And that will be the way to start with Jesus, getting rich towards God. Well, let's pray now together then. Here we go, line by line. Follow along if you'd like to. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that I've made other things more important than you. I can see how foolish that is. Thank you that Jesus lived a perfect life, always putting you first. Thank you that Jesus died to pay the debt in my life. I turn to Jesus now and ask for your forgiveness. Help me from now on to put you first. Amen. Well, thanks again for coming along. We're going to look at uh, one more time next week when uh, the Lord Jesus is interrupted in the middle of speaking. Um, but if you have just prayed that prayer along with me, then um, I'm going to be standing towards the uh, towards the, the door there. And I've got a little booklet for you that will just tell you a little bit more about how you can keep going with Jesus. And uh, just uh, say either I prayed that prayer or I'd like one of those and I'll happily give you one. Thanks again for coming. <laughs>